Okay, hello and welcome to episode five. Episode five? Hang on, is it episode five already? Matt? I'm pretty yeah. sure it's <laughs> taken myself. Episode five of When Movies Were Good. Now, this marks a bit of a change for us, Matt, because we're actually doing this one in person this time. I know, right? Give me a high five and. <laughs> we kind of missed that one. There. Did you hear that microphone? Yeah. <laughs> So if we're being extra silly, it's because we're actually doing it in person this time. So we started this whole thing, uh, you know, when COVID, the whole COVID-19 debacle started. And um, yes, we're, there've been some of the restrictions here in Australia. So um, we're sort of some of the lucky ones, I think. So we're allowed, what, 10 people can congregate together. Yeah, yeah. well, um, my grandfather passed away recently and only his immediate family, including myself, could attend his funeral. Yeah, so, so yes. It's been hard all around. It, it has. It's been a very interesting period, but, um, oh, well, sometimes some interesting things can happen and I'm sure a lot of people are embarking on a few things that they perhaps would have thought that they couldn't. But we're here at my lovely abode recording tonight for episode five of When Movies Were Good. Uh, and this episode, I've sort of given it the sub tag of priests and the nature of their work. And we're doing two films, uh, of course, as we normally do. The Keys to the Kingdom, 1944, starring the wonderful Gregory Peck and Alfred Hitchcock's I Confess from 1953. So the reason we linked these two films together this week, and we'll come back to this, this is a more Matt's forte than mine he has a lot more knowledge about this kind of thing than I do is due to the fact that it was you know two very well-known well-made films featuring situations in the life of a priest so if we start with our earlier film Keys to the Kingdom of course we'll just give the audience just a little bit of background into the film before we discuss it so starring the wonderful Gregory Peck that's one of your favorites he's one of yours isn't he oh yes uh, he's quite a charmer <laughs> He's not, he's not quite Rain the Land, but that's why I'm joking. Um, Vincent Price and a young Roddy McDowell, who I think had just recently immigrated to the US when he starred in this film, and one of the female leads was Peggy Ann Garner, directed by John M. Stoll and written by Nunnally, that's a, that's a name for you, Johnson and Joseph Mankiewicz, music by Alfred Newman. Uh, I didn't know that Alfred Newman actually did, a, he's very, very famous composer. Um, I didn't actually know that he did the music for the 20, 20th century Fox fanfare, you know, and the, all the lights are flashing. I didn't yeah. actually know he did the music for that. Um, cinematography was by Arthur C. Miller. So just a brief recap on our story before we discuss it a little bit here. It follows the Catholic priest, of course, played by Gregory Peck, over the course of his life from his humble beginnings in Scotland to adulthood in China, where he runs a mission. And it's basically one of these saga films that starts at the start of someone's life and then as they're riding out of life. So um, what were your thoughts on this film, Matt? Well, I think um, if you look beyond uh, even um, the matter of um, religion itself, uh, I think uh, Gregory Peck playing Father Chisholm, he's one of these um, inspiring characters who is... Um, one of the people that we wish um, is out there in the world um, doing their best for others. And it wouldn't surprise me if um, that film, that early role of his, played a great, great part in him being selected for the role of Atticus Finch. Yes. Uh, I think early on he established himself as being playing not just romantic leads, but quite inspirational figures. 
Yeah, I wasn't actually too familiar with this film. I'd never actually heard of it before um, before you mentioned it to me. But this was his, were you saying that this was his second second major role, the one that sort of catapulted him into... Um, definitely the first or second. He, um, um, Gregory Peck, was lucky to get a bit of a boost because he, a few years earlier, had been injured in a, uh, I believe, in a rehearsal for dancing, which... Uh, meant he couldn't uh, serve in the military and that meant that for a while during the during the war years he was able to um do a lot of work when other um when other leading men were out fighting uh now this is where it's good to have a studio on your side because even though he had injured himself in dancing mm. They decided that wasn't manly enough an injury. They they <laughs> pretended that he uh, that he broke his back while rowing. Right, I see. Yeah, so that was a, a much more butch uh, way, way to um, uh, be taken out of. Yeah, the I never think of um, Gregory Peck as being being a dancer, but back then I think you had to be a little bit of a jack of all trades. You had to ply your craft any way you could, especially if you were in the system and they wanted to get you into a musical or yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and I think uh, we can uh, definitely say that probably many people in the Vatican wish they had as uh, charming a people as the likes of uh, Gregory Peck and Montgomery Cliff to model their cassocks. Yeah. Um, I, I, I hate to say it, I don't think uh, a lot, the cassock is pulled off nearly as well as a fashion accessory in other um No, they both, uh, I have to say Gregory Peck, he was, I mean, was Gregory Peck extremely tall? Because he always seemed to tower over everyone in this film. He, he seems like it, um, yeah. and unlike a lot of Humphrey Bogart films, the camera doesn't look like it's been positioned <laughs> too low to um, exaggerate his proportions. Right. Yes, uh, uh, black is a, sw a slimming colour. It is, it looked very slimming on him. I suppose... Um, Look, I lo loved the story. Um, as you know, as we discussed before we went on air, actually it was over some text messages, I did have a problem because um, Chisholm, Gregory Peck's character, was from Scotland. And the rest of the people sort of playing around him in Scotland or the actors, obviously the whole thing was shot in Hollywood, but uh, they at least had some sort of English, um, great British sounding accent. And he spoke with his regular American accent. And I sort of thought, oh, okay. Especially when Roddy McDowell as a child was playing with an English accent. <laughs> so I don't know how you can go from an English accent as a child to American as an adult, but... I know it's just nitpicking, but I, I have a real issue with that. I just think if you're going to attempt to play a character, at least give it a go or do something. The to... trouble is, is that a lot of the time when a girl is made of an accent for an entire movie, it <laughs> often falls into caricature. Yeah. Um, and Gregory Peck, at least, I think, had a bit more of a softer um, accent. It wouldn't be like uh, those likes of William Holden or Humphrey Bogart yes. playing a Scottish priest. Yes, that's true. That's true. I always just uh, always think about um, Sean Connery playing a Russian. I think it was in Russia House, and he was yeah. playing it with a Scottish accent. So, but it's a bit of an irony, um, even now. Like they made that a uh, big mini series of Chernobyl uh, last year, and they had uh, an English cast uh, because it was either have. Russian actors that could barely speak English yes. or English and American actors putting on a Russian accent for a whole series and yeah. I would have probably uh, again uh, gone into a bit yes. of Boris and Natasha yeah <laughs> that's true well that's actually true I do agree um, I do agree with you it's I 
you know, it's just something that I happen to always listen out for. But talking about um, Gregory Peck in this film, actually some other actors who were considered who were actually a bit older than him um, would have been Spencer Tracy. Orson Welles was considered for this role and Edward G. Robinson and also Henry Fonda. So oh. they were an interesting group, but it's, I think Gregory Peck, I mean, accent or whatever aside, it's only a small quibble. I actually think he did a really good job in this film and I found the film quite uplifting, especially, you know, they did have to put sort of the romance, I haven't read the book or anything, so there was that romantic subplot at the start with his true love and, you know, all the rest of it yeah. and that, you know, when things didn't go right with her, he went into the priesthood. But what did you think about the scenes in China? I mean, it was shot in Malibu and Laguna Beach in California. <laughs> so I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, yeah, I mean, um, some of the uh, landscape could have uh, was a bit um, restaurantish look, uh, looking, yeah. but um, <laughs> I think they uh, did a fairly good job because they were focusing mainly on the uh, on a few smaller buildings. Yeah. And the area around the mission, and like a, a mission is by nature a sort of a lagoon in a in a different land, so mm. probably didn't matter as much that they had this um the artificial look of the the mission. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think uh, the beeswax um uh, assembly line that Peck had was quite interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was um. I, I probably enjoyed actually the start of the film more so than him in China, like just all the stuff he went through as a child. Um, and I didn't actually realise um, Roddy McDowell, who played Chisholm as a child in this film, he had been a child actor in the UK and then the family had just kind of moved him out to Hollywood yeah. as a child just to, and he obviously did and he spent the rest of his life there. So, and never quite lost his accent, which was which was sort of interesting. But um I actually really liked some of those set pieces that they had when they were living in Scotland um, or the northern part of the of um, of England, and I really thought that had a lot of atmosphere to it. It reminded me of a very dark sort of. What did you think of that? Like, well, I think um, it's fair to say that probably a lot of filmmakers would have had a more confidence um, creating the atmosphere of Scotland than they would have um, China at the time. Yeah. Um yeah, the as far as um character development, I think my favorite definitely was um Edmund Gwen as the bishop uh, yeah. as the that very Scottish bishop. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I I think the my fa my favorite bit of all is when they're out fishing. Um, yeah, of course, your um, pastime. Yeah. Yes, well, um, I am a bit biased in the regards, but when he's caught uh, the trout or the salmon, yeah. and um, he's just so caught up in the moment, and he doesn't care that his cassock's getting um, uh, all wet at the bottom as he uh, goes down towards the water to reel the fish in, that is definitely something Vincent Price's character I can't imagine doing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, look, I actually, I mean, I, I think we both agreed perhaps it was a bit long, but having said that, I mean, if you're going to tackle all of a person's life, you can't just wrap that up in an hour and a half. So I have to give the film that. So Yeah, I haven't read the book either, but I think uh, one trouble could have been that uh, perhaps they were holding on to too much potentially from the original text uh, mm. that um, didn't need to be there. For example, there was the part about uh, his early lover's... Um, illegitimate son and then, right, yeah. uh, and then uh, his um offspring as well mm -hmm. uh, and that just resulted in in him having a uh, 
a child to take fishing in his old age. Uh, yeah. But I think it's like um, that, that was probably um, extra lines that didn't need to be there. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a nice way to finish to finish the film. I actually thought the last sort of ten minutes of the film, where he leads the whole congregation in prayer, it was he was still mm. in China at that point. And they were yeah. all sort of like, and it, it's and the fact that they had you know a lot of ethnic actors in it at that time too. I mean, that yeah, it was have, interesting to mm. read uh, through some of their uh, background biographies, and uh, um, I won't dare insult mm. anyone with pronunciation of their names, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, it would have been quite a diamond in the rough experience for many actors in that time mm. of, of that background. Definitely. Yeah, no, I I mean, overall, I actually really liked the film and I thought it was quite inspirational. Um, what were your general, like, closing thoughts on the film? In a, in a way, it's uh, only a semi-religious film. It's not about um, promoting... Um, uh, it's, it's not about evangelization. It's about a... Uh, a good person's journey. That's right. Yep. Into, um, uh, uh, to encourage goodwill in others, because mo really most of the um, of the time, those that are in his congregation that we see come to him. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I, I, in a, in a way, I think it's kind of like a soft introduction to the powerful force that we'd see Gregory Peck as in the manner of Atticus Finch. Uh, several years later into kill a mockingbird yes or something that all school children at one point or another it's a film that we all sat through and um and definitely it was a book that we all had to study at school so that was gregory peck's foray into playing a priest and his journey in that film is quite different than the journey in the second film that we'll be looking at today and that's um one of alfred hitchcock's more well-known films i confess from 1953 so made about, um, you know, nine years after Gregory Peck's film. So this is starring, once again, one of our favourites, Montgomery Clift. The great Edgar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Baxter. And Carl Malden, who I grew up watching on TV shows, but had a very stellar career as, an, as a, a film actor when he was younger. Uh, directed by Hitch, written by George Tabori and William Archibald, music by Dimitri Chomkin, and cinematography by Robert Burks, who was a frequent collaborator uh, with Hitch. Um, just quickly mention the first film with 20th Century Fox released that one, and Warner Brothers released I Confess. So, just briefly, the story here uh, a priest comes under suspicion himself for a murder. Uh, bound by the rules of confession. He is unable to clear his name after the person who did it confesses it to him. So, Matt, take it away. Okay, so I am not a religious expert. I uh, do study a lot of religious art, which gives me some background knowledge. But uh, a core problem with this plot, which they had even then, was that many people, out, even though American film audiences had quite a strong Catholic um, population at the time, uh, many didn't understand how vital the nature of the seal confession was in the Catholic faith and why a priest would be willing to go to the gallows to what many on the outside would think is effectively protecting a murderer. Mm -hmm. So with a bit of luck, actually, both Rachel and I um, have a mutual friend uh, from a theatre we attend who many years ago was actually training for several years to be a priest but then he um had a change of mind about what he wanted to do for his um vocation slash career but that does uh, mean that we have a friend with a good knowledge of canon law 
-hmm. and I was able to ask him a bit about um, uh, what the Seal of Confession is like, and I just want to quickly summarize over this because it's obviously core to the plot, and I think uh, many people, especially now, uh, may not appreciate some of the details that were going through the character's mind at the time. Mm -hmm. So this was before Vatican II, which was the major Reformation movement um, of the Catholic Church in the 60s. Effectively, they went from holding on to a lot of the, in that time, a lot of the medieval um, customs of a very vengeful God with a, a stricter following of, um, of uh, canon regulation as interpreted by the priesthood. There was little room for uh, thinking outside the square. Mm -hmm. And, but uh, in this um, older form of the seal of confession, which is when a person uh, confesses their sins to a priest to, uh, in theory, to express their remorse to God, which I don't think this character has any remorse for anyway. No, no, he certainly didn't. Um, yeah. But um, in, in effect, by taking on the responsibility of hearing his confession... Montgomery Cliff's character is um, res is responsible for uh, his word to God, and to break the seal of confession would be to, even though the murderer has already uh, marked his own soul, Montgomery Cliff himself would be creating a mark on his own because he is betraying the the confession, mm -hmm. and effectively he would not have been able, in good conscience, to continue as a priest, which. If you, uh, if you put yourself in the shoes of a very devout person who is devoted towards his church, the religious, um, the religious devotion and practicing the rights of the priesthood exist above the state law. It's a, a sort yes. of a state that transcends all um, political boundaries on the earth. Yeah. Now, this is a, obviously a contentious topic, especially this time. Uh, we don't need to um, uh, say any more than that. People will probably already uh, think that already. Yes. But basically in this uh, quite different time, even though only a few decades ago, it was a very um, severe thing to consider breaking the seal, even if it meant risking your own life. And in the past, many uh, people have been tortured in religious movements um, to try and break the seal, okay. which they, their faith is forbidden. Yeah, I mean, it's so obviously that... Um... I mean, the whole um, film is wrapped around that notion of him not being able to confess um, well, not being able to tell on the person who confessed to him. So that's how everyone comes into the plot. So this original guy who confesses to him, Montgomery Cliff's character, and then other people sort of get dragged into this because he can't, you know, tell what's happened. So in this film, there's actually a little bit of everything in this film, isn't there? There's, you know, the... Um, you know, it's a very sort of plot-based film, but there is other things in it. Of course, they have to have the counterpoint with the lead actress and Anne Back. I actually really liked Anne Baxter in this film. I'd seen her in a few other things and I wasn't that, that into her, but um, I actually liked her in this film. And so she's sort of playing, we wouldn't say Montgomery Cliff's love interest, but it was someone he was involved with when he was younger before he was a priest. It's funny in this time when you can have war films or films like Lawrence of Arabia where it's mostly males, yep. but even if you have um, any uh, film set in the civilian world, even if um, it's centred around a priest who's supposed to take a vow of um, uh, so celibacy, 
they, they still have to have a romantic element in the story. They they certainly do. I mean, even in the first film, they had a romantic element in his young life before he became a priest. That was Gregory Peck's character. And we have the same thing here. And it has to humanise them in some way. Being yeah. a priest is so hard to relate to for most people. How could they live such a, ster- you know, quote unquote, sterile existence? So they need to have that in it. And I, I kind I thought it was a little bit like, oh, I probably could have done without it. But I, I get why they yeah. did it. Following the Hollywood yeah. logic, it's almost sort of confirming the actor's manhood, saying, I choose to, to, to not be with a lady. Yeah. <laughs> well, as for Montgomery Clift himself, that could, have, <laughs> that could have been something a bit close to the truth for him. But um... Certainly, I have a picture of if Montgomery Clift played the lead in Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I have always liked Carl Malden. I mean, I grew up watching him on sort of procedurals, you know, police shows when I was a kid, you know, and hosting sort of various things. So I actually really, I always find him a very sort of comforting presence in anything. And look, I, look, this film has a bit of action. It has a bit of romance. It has, you know, courtroom scene. It has this massive sort of very emotional ending with, that all the truth coming out, someone trying to kill somebody, this this other thing happening. So really, this film really has a little bit of everything, and it's a nice runtime too. It's mm. not overly long, uh, and Quebec, where uh, the film is set and shot, just looks fantastic, you know. Yes, well, um, Quebec was a very uh, deliberate choice. Hitchcock uh, and uh, I think assistants went around scouting locations where priests uh, openly went around uh, wearing their black cassocks because Mm -hmm. they needed um, a place where uh, priests walking about were part of the landscape and it was conceivable for a murderer to use uh, such a cassock as a disguise. Yes. These days, um, that would be a guaranteed way to draw attention to yourself. Yes, that's true. That's that's true. No, I mean the whole the whole film. I mean, it's um, what do you think in terms of the visual style of this film compared to some of Hitchcock's other films? I I think it's quite um, I I think it's quite well thought out in many regards. Uh, some do uh, depend on you having a greater knowledge of um religion than even could have been taken for granted at the time. Mm. Like, there's that part where uh, Montgomery Clift is walking through the streets struggling with whether or not to break the seal, and he's looking at uh, just a men's suit in the shop window, and it reflects on his own cassock. Yes, yeah. It's it's very subtly played out. Yes. Uh, As far as the visuals, there is um, uh, that scene at the end of the courtroom uh, when... Montgomery Clift is going towards the hotel, yeah. uh, and there's that famous conflict that um, uh, Clift had with Hitchcock, that, uh, where he was thinking, "Oh, I don't think I would be um, looking up towards the hotel roof. I'd be looking at the yelling crowd in front mm. of me." And Hitchcock's yeah. like, "Well, if uh, because he was a devoted <laughs> method actor, yeah. and, he, and Hitchcock was like, "Well, if you don't look up towards mm. the building, I cannot cut towards there." Yeah, and so that's a constant <laughs> conflict. Um, yes, I did read that he really struggled with Montgomery Cliff's style of acting. He was used to actors that just did exactly what he said, and I understand where he was coming from, and I understand where Montgomery Cliff was coming from. But Montgomery Cliff actually got mixed reviews for this film because some people didn't think he was suitable for the role. I thought he was all right, but I could imagine somebody else. I could imagine actually Gregory Peck in this role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Montgomery Clift, as we saw in A Place in the Sun, he's mm. so enigmatic. You never mm. know quite what he's uh, thinking. And uh, Elizabeth Taylor, uh, yeah. her line uh, about him being a sort of a mystery when they're at the party in A Place in the Sun, kind of sums up his whole 
acting talent, his whole acting style pretty well. Yep. Yes, Gregory Peck, because it's such a, um, maintains a lot of silent thought processes in, um, I confess, I think, um, because Peck wears his emotions a lot more clearly, mm -hmm. uh, it would have probably, um, made a lot more, um, visual sense. Yeah. Uh, I actually, uh, want to briefly, uh, mention mm -hmm. back in, um, Keys mm -hmm. to the Kingdom, one mm -hmm. casting, uh, thing I, mm -hmm. I, I'm thinking is that they should have uh, swapped over Cedric Hardwick's role with Vincent Price's. Yeah. Vincent Price was uh, far too um, overblown for such a large part. Cedric Hardwick was a much more uh, delicate actor. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, as a child of the 80s, I just constantly think of Vincent Price as doing the voiceover on the thriller, Michael Jackson's thriller. <laughs> I think it was cartoon version from The Simpsons. Yeah. So, but it is actually a joy when you actually get to see some of these actors that you know, you associate and other things actually playing in a whole raft of other films that they that they did. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I liked, I confess, I probably, I think there's a Hitchcock film we're, we're actually doing on the next one, which I probably prefer to I confess, but I did enjoy it. And I was actually really, as I said, I really enjoyed Anne Baxter in this film. I thought she was quite good as the, the troubled former love of um, Montgomery Cliff's character, The Priest. Uh, and I just thought the film was a great looking film. It moved well. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, with Hitchcock aficionados, they, they're one way or the other about it. Some people love it and some people, it just depends on whether you relate to what's in the film, I think, like everything. Yes, it's, um, well, Hitch Hitchcock was uh, very good at understanding how people reacted to a visual stimulus. Hmm. And he was uh, quite like uh, Agatha Christie, uh, in terms of he uh, was a master at working out the hook to draw people in and uh, make them effortlessly carried in through the story. That's right. Yeah, the story was always the star for him. If he wasn't into the story, it didn't matter who was in the film. You know what I mean? So um, I think some of his later films sort of were missing some of those elements, but I, ha I still am yet to see, I'm yet to see the last couple of movies that he did. But these early ones, I mean, were pretty on point in terms of, you know, uh, the script as well. They were good stories that mm. were interesting. And he often had a much stronger uh, role in the script production than he would give himself credit for. Yes, well, we saw that in Rebecca. He, <laughs> he, yes. was, quite, he was quite involved in that and so, so was everybody else, apparently. Although in many ways for Rebecca it was more a case of stopping uh, Selznick from sabotaging himself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but uh, overall, uh, I did like, I mean, I, I wouldn't choose one or the other. I liked, I confess, more probably for the pace and the energy of the film, but Keys to the Kingdom, I just enjoyed that more for the journey that the character went on. So mm. just enjoying it in two different ways not yeah. one better than the other. And it's very, you can't, I mean, all films are different. You can't say one's better than the other because certain films do certain things better than the other one does. So Yeah, I definitely want to just say that in uh, for both films, uh, and you see this often in social media, that people have um, negative pre-associations. Um, if they see uh, anyone with a religious outfit on the poster, look past that. Mm. Each film is a, a great piece and it should be appreciated in itself. You don't have to be um, uh, religious to be um, to enjoy or see the value of these films. Uh, take them for what they are. They were made in a much more innocent time. So, mm. uh, 
it would be uh, great if you can um, uh, broaden your own experience for that sake. Yeah, definitely. Well, that wraps up our two films for this week, for episode five of When Movies Were Good. So check those films out if you're, if you're interested. But even if you just enjoy Gregory Peck and, and Montgomery Clift, I think you'll enjoy these films uh, anyway if you haven't seen them. So I'm actually excited about our films for next time, yes. being a lover of true crime. And I know Matt's interested in historical crimes and things like that as well. My fiancé is freaked out by me sometimes. <laughs> oh, good old Meg. We love Meg to bits. Yes, um uh, we're going to do, I suggested this one to Matt. I wasn't actually too familiar with the second film. We're going to do another one. We're not sort of just, we tend to land on certain things at the moment because we're interested in the subject matter. So we're, we will be veering into some other territory soon, but we are going to do another Alfred Hitchcock film just because this particular film happens to be, happens to concern this case. So it was the um, Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb murder, murder, well, they murdered a young boy in 1924, just because they felt like it, almost. So there was quite an uproar and a case around after they were sort of, you know, arrested for this young boy's murder. And, um, you know, it really caused a sensation because these two sort of upper class young men, why on earth would they do something like this? So there's a whole story around that that would be good to research if you were ever interested. But we've got Alfred Hitchcock's 1948 Rope, which got its... um, sort of idea from this case and then I wasn't familiar with this film and I just happened to be reading about rope and something else and then it was um compulsion 1959 we've got Dean Stockwell and Orson Welles in that film so I just suggested it to Matt and we think that'd be an interesting um thing to discuss these two films that are based or in part on that um Leopold and Loeb case yes well it's really um one of the fascinating crime stories of the last century and uh the fact that um, two films were made about it in uh, such a short, short succession of each other, well, fairly short, about 10 years apart, mm. uh, says something about the, uh, what, how it reflected on the minds of many at that time. Yes, yeah, it was a very famous, um, a very famous case, and they were notorious for the rest of their lives, um, even when they uh, believe one of them did get out of jail, so... Um, yeah, so we're going to do that. I'm actually really looking forward to that. Um, so that just wraps everything up for me this week. And Matt, anything else you'd like to say? Oh, you normally do our, um, social media for us. <laughs> uh, yes, I'm the Minister for Propaganda. Um, yes, uh, as always, um, please, um, if you haven't already, hit subscribe on our channel, uh, tap the bell button so you get notified of new content. We have channels on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook just to look up when movies were good. And we would love to hear your comments. And uh, even if you have ideas on topics we could discuss in the future, we'd love to hear them. Definitely. Yeah, definitely reach out to us. We, we love to talk to people about movies, especially when they were good. So to wrap everything up this week, I'm Rachel. I'm Matthew. And we're watching good movies. Thanks, guys, and we'll talk to you next time. See ya.